Well, good evening. It is so fun to be back. I love it. I love the worship. I love you. I love everything about this place. And it is an absolute joy. So thank you for having us very much. I want to talk about Jesus. Oh, my goodness. You think, no, surely not. But what else would you want to talk about? You know, he is the hero and he is amazing. And that's what I would like to talk about this evening. Now, we've just been celebrating Christmas, and the truth is that all around the Christian world, everybody talks about how Trent does Christmas. But you do, you do a wonderful job at Christmas, so you're well celebrated. However, we've been celebrating the coming of Jesus, and we heard about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We heard how the the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we call it the Incarnation. Jesus, the very physical embodiment of God himself, came to earth in a human form. He was a baby. He was born in a stinking cowshed, in an obscure little town, in a very almost unknown distant part of the world. And as T.S. Eliot eloquently put it, the word, unable to say a word. He was a baby and he became a little boy and he grew into a man and he took on a form that we could recognize and relate to. And he became Emmanuel, God with us. And at Christmas, we acknowledge that this life-changing, history-determining, cataclysmic event happened. Because Jesus went on to change our world, and even now, he determines our destiny. H.G. Wells, a name you might have known, he was a writer and he was a historian. And interestingly, he said this. He said, I am a historian... I am not a believer, but this penniless preacher from Galilee is irresistibly the center of history. Now, of course, the decorations have been dragged down. Everything's been packed up and put away. And you can be very, very sure, take my word, that the Christmas lights that you put into their box and, you know, stored away in perfect working order, you will get them out next December and they'll all be done. And... (laughs) I want you at that point to remember that I am indeed a true prophet. (laughs) Happens every time. So why, you say, would we continue to celebrate? It's all done and dusted. But why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to continue to celebrate who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and all that Jesus calls us to? Because he is amazing. Now, I want to do something slightly different, and I want you to watch a few minutes of a clip of a video um, by a man called Simon Ponsonby. Now, Simon is a great friend of the vineyard. He's been here, I know, on several occasions. He's, He's the most loved of theologians, really. In, around the country, and he's a wonderful, wonderful preacher. And he talks about Jesus, and there's a little strain of something sort of Welsh in him. You know, he preaches and then he weeps, and it's all too wonderful. So it'll make you do both, I think. So I'm going to show you a few minutes about Jesus as only Simon can explain him. So let's watch this. Consider these things. He reigned divine in unapproachable light and incomparable glory. That's how he was. And he created all things and kept them going by his powerful word. And he was endlessly worshipped and adored by myriad upon myriad of angels. And yet he overflowed in restless love and created humans in his image that he might love on them. 
and he created a paradise, a garden, and he met them in the cool of the day to be with them and to bless them. And he gave them free will so that they might love him back in freedom. And he did not turn away when they turned away, but he moved towards them in love. He's the God who is always advancing towards us in love. And he covered their nakedness and their shame. And when he excluded them from the garden, he didn't stay in the garden, but he accompanied them out. And he chased them all the way through the corridors of history. And he reveals himself in creation and conscience and in words and in wonders. And he chose his servant Israel to reveal his glory to the world. And he graced us with sacrifice and law so we could understand him and so we could stand before him. And he prophesied and prepared and planned his particular coming to us. He is amazing. He's amazing. And he wed himself to human flesh in virgin womb. And he took upon himself our very nature that he might give his very nature to us. And he dwelt among us as one of us and drank the earthly cup to its lees. And at the age of 30, he left obscurity and began his public ministry. And he spoke like no one else. And he lived like no one else ever lived. And people who heard him were amazed, and some were afraid, and a few were angry. And he called people to leave everything and follow him. And he said he was bringing the kingdom of God. And he showed us that he was the king of the kingdom. And he showed us the nature of the kingdom, that it was a kind kingdom. And he showed us that his was a powerful kingdom and lives were transformed and he gave us the keys of the kingdom. And he forgave the sins of the adulterous woman and the cripple who got up and walked. And he tenderly touched the leper and he healed their skin and he removed their ignominy and shame. And he bent double with compassion when he was moved, seeing the sickness and suffering of others. And he raised the dead boy and gave him back to his mother. And he raised the dead girl and gave her back to her father. And he raised his dead friend and gave him back to his sisters. And he opened the eyes of the blind and he opened the ears of the deaf. And he opened the prisons of the tormented and he opened the minds of the questioning and he opened the way for us to God. That's amazing. Have you ever heard of anything else like that? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? It's almost impossible to say more for he is indeed so amazing. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And I want to talk about all that Jesus is. Consider some of his names. He's the Rose of Sharon, which speaks of his sheer beauty. There's a lovely song that some of us have sung. It talks about the creation of the world all the way through to the coming again of Jesus. And it says a lovely line. It says, your beauty arches above it all. His beauty arches over us all. He's the bright morning star, which tells us of his brilliance. He's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the ancient of days. He determines history, but he was before it and he is beyond it. 
he was the son of David and the son of man, which reminds us of his earthly lineage. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the powerful, the victorious one. But then he was also the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the sin bearer. The lamb that was slain and now stands in the middle of the throne. But he only won that victory because he was prepared to become the ultimate victim. We sang that wonderful song this evening, to you, the slain and risen king. What a paradox. He's both. He's slain, he's shattered, he's sacrificed, and he's risen and glorified and in power. He's all of those things. His names are many, and they tell us much about his character, but consider some of his claims himself. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that illumines. I'm the one that makes things clear. At Christmas, of course, we read the true light that lightens everyone was coming into the world. And we were reminded in John's gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, nor will it ever. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the one that satisfies and sustains you. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the one that leads you and guides you and is safe to follow. <clears throat> he said, I am the vine. I don't know if you've ever seen a vine growing or a picture of one. The trunk is pretty clear. And then after that, all the branches branch off and become so intertwined. And so you can't even imagine where they go or which bit belongs to which because so intricately are they intertwined. And that's the very illustration Jesus gave of how closely we can be involved with him and he with us. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the one that loves and protects. I am the one that, like the Eastern shepherds in his time, went behind them. He went behind the sheep, guiding them and egging them on, if you like, but following them with goodness and mercy. And then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, he said, shall never die. This is the ultimate and the deepest assurance of all of us who believe in him and who receive all that he offers for themselves. When Jesus addressed some of the churches in the early, early history of the church through a vision of John in the book of Revelation, he spoke of himself like this. <clears throat> he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You know these words. Who is and who was and who is to come. His beauty arches over it all. I am the first, I am the last, I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, he said, I am alive and I live forever and ever. These are the words, he said to one of the churches, of him who is holy and true. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's our Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is mind-blowing. But consider, too, that he came as flesh and blood. He moved into the neighborhood and became the most articulate expression ever of God himself. I want to show you a painting. You may know it, you may not, in which case I can tell you all about it. This is a painting in a chapel, the Sistine Chapel in Rome, where the popes are elected. And the ceiling, and indeed the last judgment at the end, were painted by a painter called Michelangelo, and he painted it in probably 1510 some 1510, 1513 period. And it is the most extraordinary painting. No picture can do justice. 
And we've been to it. I've been to it once or twice. And as you go in, you look up, and the thing is a riot, a riot of color and of activity and of, of complexity, of prophets and sibyls and angels and history and the creation of Adam in the middle, which you might recognize. But it's just overwhelming. So in their wisdom, the Vatican authorities have placed all around the rest of the chapel, at about this level, a series of mirrors, and they run from one to the other. So where you look up, you can look up for possibly 30 seconds, but not more. And you get just the crick in the neck. You can't do it, physically. And so you look down to the mirrors, and there you see every stage of the painting perfectly, comfortably reflected. Jesus is that mirror. He reflects the Father. He shows us God in a way that we could never otherwise grasp without getting a theological crick in the neck from which we would never recover. He is the most articulate, most accessible, most easy to understand, most incarnate form of God himself. This is the Jesus of whom Martin Luther wrote, he ate, he drank, he slept, he was weary, he was sorrowful, he was rejoicing. He wept, he laughed, he knew hunger and thirst and sweat, he toiled, he prayed. There was no difference, said Luther, between him and other men, save only this, that he was God and he had no sin. He was perfect. And all that he was and all that he did cries out to us of both his humanity, his humanness, and his divinity. Jesus was both wonderfully human and gloriously divine. He was the son of Mary, born in a stable, but he was the son of God, absolutely. That's what makes him so electrifying, so extraordinary. All that Jesus is, all that Jesus did. Athanasius was one of the early church fathers, and he wrote this in the fourth century. He said this, if we would try to number the achievements of our Savior. It will be like gazing the, over the open sea and trying to count the waves. They are innumerable. They are beyond measure, the things that he's done for us. And at this point, I'm going to indulge you just a little further. We're going to look at the second half of that. Is that all right? If you want to take a break and go out, you can. But basically, I would suggest you wait and watch the second half of Simon's video about Jesus. And he fed 5,000 hungry pilgrims with just five loaves and two fish. And he commanded the winds and the waves to obey him, and they did. And he ordered the shadows to depart from troubled souls, and they did. And he taught us how to pray to the Father, and he called his disciples his friends. And he had a special heart for those who were on the margins. And he was homeless and had nowhere to lay his head. And he was transfigured before us and showed us his glory. And he wept at the tomb of his friend. And he made friends with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and even those who would betray him. And he loved the rich young ruler who loved his money more than God. And he turned over the tables in the temple and stood in the way of those who would profit and stand in the way of others coming to God. And he prayed for us to be protected from the devil and to be loved and to know and share the love of God. And he gave us bread and wine 
to join with him and one another. He is amazing. And he intimidated the authorities and he provoked his enemies and wicked men and evil spirits conspired to kill him. And he faced down the fear and he embraced his destiny. For us, he is amazing. And he welcomed the betrayer with a kiss and still called him friend. And scheming men sat in judgment on him and they condemned him as we've just read and they spat at him and they beat him and they nailed him and they killed him and he did it all willingly of his own free volition because he loved us and because there was no other way for us to come to God and he who knew no sin became sin for us and God laid on him the iniquity of us all and he enters God forsakenness for our sake and by his stripes we're healed and he drenched the earth with his blood most leaders and warriors drenched the world with other people's blood. And he washed us whiter than snow. And his executors said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And they laid him in a cold tomb, and he descended to the depths, and he set the captives free, and he shattered the bonds of death and hell. And he had the last word, and he pushed away the stone, and he cancelled the debt of sin. And he satisfies the justice of God. And he redeemed us from death and hell. And he reconciles us to the Father. And he disarms the demonic. And he brings us home out of exile. And he makes us citizens of heaven. And he is amazing. And he ascended to heaven. And he sits at the Father's right hand. And there prays every day and all night for us and he asks nothing from us but our faith and our love and he sends us out to tell others about him and he's coming back to be with us and to take us to be with him and he will judge the living and the dead and he will wipe away all tears and he will heal all the wounded years and he will drive away all our fears he is amazing. Meanwhile, he's still healing and still saving and still reconciling and still delivering and still transforming and still here with us by his spirit and still the God who is for us. And today, two billion follow him and hundreds of millions are persecuted for faith in him. And one day, when he returns, he will fill the whole earth with his glory. And he is called Jesus, which means God saves us, and he does. And he is the Lord, which means he rules over us with his tender love. And he is Emmanuel, the God who is here for us. Jesus is wonderful. He lived an extraordinary and exemplary life. We've just seen a little bit and been reminded of what made him so extraordinary. There was a philosopher called Einstein, who many of you will have heard of and who was generally regarded as rather clever. And he said this, as a child, I received instruction, both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, he said, but I am enthralled by the luminous person of the Nazarene. 
No one, he said, can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth was ever filled with such life. That's the Jesus that we love and that we worship and that we would give everything for and spend everything on. His personality pulsates. I love that phrase. Stop to think about it. His personality, it pulsates. His personality pulsates through this place. His personality pulsates through you people as you gather together. His personality pulsates as we worship the Lord until almost our hearts were burst. I've worshipped every day, every service today, as if my heart would burst. It's so beautiful because his personality pulsates as we worship him. His kindness and his sweetness and his gentleness to anyone in pain or distress. His outrage at injustice and wickedness. The fun of his company and his camaraderie. Lord Hailsham said he was a happy and glorious man whose mere presence filled his followers with delight. The authority, the inarguability of his teaching. His personality pulsates in every page. He lived, of course, an extraordinary life. And he died an excruciating death. We were reminded as we celebrated the Lord's Supper together just a few moments ago, death by crucifixion. It was unspeakably awful what he did, what he went through. Nobody can begin to imagine how horrendous that was. Death on a rubbish dump. Imagine the pain, the screams, the blood, the sweat, the flies, the cursing, the blasphemy, the horribleness of it all. Crucifixion was the worst form of torture and death that was ever made up by man. It was the most extreme example of man's inhumanity to man. And Jesus embraced it. He went to the cross voluntarily, knowingly, because he knew that he alone must die. He knew that he alone must take the blows, must carry the can, must stand in the line of fire. He alone was able to spring the cage of our captivity and set us free. That's why he's so amazing. And that's why, as Simon said, billions of people around the world, oh, and over history, billions and millions and millions and millions of people have followed him because he is that amazing. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. An extraordinary life, an excruciating death, a glorious resurrection. Our amazing Jesus was victorious over death so that we can be too. It is, as Athanasius said, impossible to number the achievements of our Savior. And you'd say to me, why are you a Christian? Why do you, th what you think you're talking about? Why are you standing up there making such a thing about Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because I have found in the person of Jesus the most marvelous the most magnetic, the most mesmerizing person. So much fun to be around. So wise, so pleasing in every way. He was quite literally life-saving for me. Because as a believer and as a follower of Jesus, I can know that my past has been taken care of. I mean, it wasn't that grisly. It wasn't that spectacular, I have to say. It was really rather sort of small fry when it came to sin. But it was genuine. It really was. It doesn't matter how bad it's been. It doesn't matter how sort of small fry you think you are. The truth is my past has been taken care of. My sins have been forgiven. It's been canceled. The debt, like Debbie said earlier, has been paid. 
and that my present is a fulfilled one. I have such a whale of a time being alive. You know, it's rough stuff and things are hard and we have battles to face day in and day out. But it's a wonderful, wonderful life to live. And I wouldn't change it. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. And I can only tell you it's true. And hundreds of you in this room know that it's true. I'm preaching to the choir. You know this is true. And of course, the most ultimate security is that my future is safe. And I can be with him forever. All that Jesus is, all that Jesus did, and lastly, all that Jesus calls us to. Did you notice in Simon's little video there, those phrases about he is still healing, he is still saving, he is still transforming, he is still delivering, he's still doing it, people. And how does he do these wonderful things when he's dead and buried and ascended and gone? I'll tell you how he does it. He does it through us. He has chosen out of some extraordinary reason to do it through us. He wants to change the world. He wants to transform our cities. He wants to save us. He wants to care for our family. He wants to do all these things. And he gives us two lots of provision. He says, you can do this. And he gives his Holy Spirit to us. And he puts his authority upon us. That's why we can go out and talk about him. That's why we can go to the streets and offer people Jesus. That's there are people in this room, and I know for sure, there are people in this room that are only here because other people in this room went out onto the streets to tell them about Jesus and met them. And they came home. You know that's true. Every time you have a baptism, people tell those stories. God uses us. Jesus wants us to be doing this. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he sent us his Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, he said, and he will give you another advocate known as the Comforter or the Holy Spirit, to help you and to be with you forever. That's who's living in us. That's who's, that's who's doing all this stuff. It's the Spirit of Jesus himself. And the Holy Spirit equips us and he enables us and he empowers us and he galvanizes us into action. And he drives us out, out from our pulpits and into, onto our pavements. That's why. He wants to involve us. He calls us to do the things that he did. And he once said, you will do even greater things because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. It's unbelievable. It's a wonderful thing. He gave his Holy Spirit to us and he shares us his authority with us. He's given us authority. He said, all authority is given to me, therefore you go. He passed it on. He said, it's for you. You have my authority. And if we as believers... And I think one of the things that the vineyard holds particularly precious is the authority of the believer. If we as believers believed that we have the authority that Jesus gave to the disciples and descended over the course of history, chased us down the corridors of history. If we believed that, we will go from this place with such confidence and with such a spring in our step in order to do the things that he's entrusted us to do. Let me tell you a couple of quick stories before we finish. I heard very recently, and I tell the story with permission, of one of the vineyard churches in Scotland. And there were two girls in the church, and they decided that they knew about Jesus, and they knew what, they were quite young believers, but they knew that what they got was so precious and was such good news that they wanted to do something. They wanted to take it somewhere and do something, because they were beginning to understand this. And so they decided, what is the darkest and saddest place in our town. 
and they decided it was the mental health unit of the local hospital. So they asked if they might visit the unit, and they did. And as they got there, in the foyer, there was a piano. And they asked the staff, might we have permission to play the piano and sing? And so they did. I mean, it's very brave. It's very gutsy. So they started to play the piano, and they started to sing their worship songs because they knew that they were in a place of deep despair where there was no joy. And as they sang and as they played, the patients began to weep, and the staff began to weep. And the Holy Spirit came, and the joy of the Lord entered that place, and they were asked back. Two little girls who had recently come to Jesus, and they decided they would take a risk and do something really outrageous, slightly mad. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and the authority of the Lord went with them. I prayed recently for, I met somebody in a church in London, and she came to see me. And it turned out that I had prayed for her and her husband a year before, exactly a year before, at the previous visit to the church. And she came because they couldn't have children. And she came with her three-month-old baby in pink. Because God does these things, people. He takes ordinary believers, ordinary believers, and he takes us out and he gives us his authority and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And he said, now you go and have a go. So that's why Jesus is amazing. He's amazing because of all that he is. He's amazing because of all that he did. And he's amazing because of all that he calls us to do. There's a wonderful prayer. Let me finish with this in the Anglican prayer book. And it says this, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and to work to your praise and glory. And people usually say, Amen, people. Amen. And may the Lord send you out, you wonderful people of this fabulous church. May he send you out in the power of his spirit to live and to work to his praise and glory, that the kingdom may come and that this place may be changed and that this place would have to have more services because you cannot fit them all in. May God do this stuff. May he change your city. May he have mercy on your friends. May he make a difference in our nation. Our nation is in such a parlous place. We're in such a muddle. We're in such a mess. People don't know who they think, what they are, what they believe. But Jesus is the answer. Sorry. Jesus has the answer. <laughs> Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's Jesus. He is amazing. Brothers and sisters, I rest my case. <laughs> Debbie, come. <laughs>